I like a completely out of context cold open. And then he sticks his head in the he sticks his head in the manure, and that's when I said you should call it turd box. Once again aboard Beef Station, join us as we hurtle through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. Andrew. Let's get stuck into it. What have we watched today, boy? Well, uh... uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll it's help been you a out fucking, here. fucking long day, <laughs> and despite the fact that we have covered it like three or four times... Yeah. Like before the I mics went on. I immediately forgot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let me help you out here. Ballad of Buster Scruggs is a film that you watched a little while ago and it yeah. made your top ten of 2018. It did. I watched it recently, and we thought we might as well talk about it, just for some hashtag content. Um, and then, just to round out another short episode, <laughs> we thought we'd talk about Bird Box as well. So, it's a Netflix special, baby. Yeah. First of all, though, I think there's a couple films that maybe we, we have yeah. each seen. We desynced for a while. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, there's a couple films that we've each seen that the other one hasn't, that we thought we might cover as a quick little review segment right up top. Right. Um, I watched uh, Holmes and Watson. A couple weeks ago, which and is we the haven't had a chance to cover Will Ferrell, John C. Riley atrocity adaptation of, um, yeah, Toy Story, isn't it? Holmes and Watson. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> Arthur Conan okay. Doyle story. I've just got to shift my mentality from like, no, I can enter a sentence with like no plans, and I'll I'll come up with a riff to like, you are riffless today. <laughs> You need to know what you're going to say before I should have fully written out a script. Holmes and Watson I saw recently, and we thought, like, yeah. oh, man, this will be classic Beef Station gear. We'll be able to, like, This will be know, the perfect in. film. It'll be fun. It'll be goofy. I forgot as soon as I got in, I have hated every single Will Ferrell, John C. Riley movie I've ever started. I like Will Ferrell in some stuff, but for some reason, it seems like when him and John C. Riley <laughs> get together to make a movie, they just decide... To do away with all structure or any semblance of a script. I feel like this is directed by the same dude that directs most of those types of films because it's like they're like a creative trio, right? So, in the same way as like, you remember how Bill Murray talks about how he accidentally agreed to the oh, Garfield yeah, yeah, movie yeah, yeah. because it was directed by Ethan Cohen. Cohen. Like, oh, <laughs> Ethan Cohen. I love that guy. Not that. He, not one of the Cohen brothers, yeah. but some other random fucking guy. This is directed by Ethan Cohen. I wonder if it's I think the same he's guy. one of them. Yeah. I, I don't think that. No. Highest rated not, movies, Tropic Thunder. Not the Cohen brothers guy. This guy has directed um, uh, Men in Black 3, Madagascar 2. So like nothing. He's also done Tropic Thunder, but mm. fuck this guy. Men in Black 3 was good. No, I haven't seen it. To cut a long story short, Holmes and Watson was god-awful. It was just, like, sincerely one of the worst movies I've ever seen. You, to be honest, you messaged honest, me after it, just being like, not really sure. Yeah, don't bother about that. <laughs> not really movie. sure that one's worth it. Oh, man. <laughs> and I was like, it's not worth our time. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's not worth our time. Holy shit. Yeah. And our time is completely fucking valueless. Yeah. No, this movie, So I thought it would be, like, so dumb it's funny, or, like, goofy kind of, in a self-aware kind of way, having fun with the whole Holmes and Watson thing. Yeah. But it's just... In addition to it being dumb, it's just poorly written to the point where it's intolerable. Like, for example, a goofy film that's aware of itself is fine, but a goofy film that also has giant fucking irritating... A goofy like, film where he's a single dad type. and has to raise his son, Max. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, so if the film's goofy... It's a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's unironically a good film. 
Goofy movie episode. <laughs> I was listening to someone, someone recently who talked about the funniest bit about the Goofy movie is that it means that someone fucked Goofy. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Which they're like, is like officially Disney canon is that someone fucked Goofy and gave birth to his... That's going to be in Kingdom Hearts 3. <laughs> <laughs> Goofy goes full God of War. <laughs> oh, so, Watson. <laughs> so it's a good... It's a silly movie, but like... It's also, like, it's got some basic fucking, like, attributes of films that are poorly written. So, right. for example, so Will Ferrell plays Sherlock Holmes, John C. Riley is Dr. Watson. They walk into, like, like a morgue, for example, <laughs> and John C. Riley stops Will Ferrell at the door. He's like, oh, stop. Are you sure you want to go in there? And Will Ferrell's like, what do you mean? And John C. Riley goes, oh, well, I mean, last time we were in a morgue, you threw up everywhere. So you sure you want to go in this morgue? You sure you're not going to throw up everywhere? And Will Ferrell's like, don't be stupid. I'm not going to throw up everywhere. I'm Sherlock Holmes. Walks in, sees the body, goes... And then the gag is that he's throwing up. It's like, well, yeah. (laughs) You, You might as well have... Yeah, you might as well have handed out a copy of the script on the way in. I mean, anyone that didn't see that coming would have been a like a child. And the whole movie was like that. The entire movie. There's this whole fucking scene where, like, John C. Riley, there's this lady he likes, and so he, like, wants to send her an affectionate telegram. And, like, ten seconds in... <laughs> an affectionate telegram. Yeah. So, ten seconds in, it becomes apparent, like, oh, it's like a, it's like a, drunk, it's like a drunk text, a drunk sexting joke. Right. The joke goes for two minutes. Oh, fuck. <laughs> and, like, two minutes later, he's like, should I send her an oil painting of my testicles? And, like... Not that, but the equivalent of that. Was it better or worse than that? I I think what I said was better. That was better? Yeah, Yeah. that was not bad. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right, content. Andrew was unironically laughing at that. Oh, fuck, I've really sold it here. No, we're not seeing this movie, all right? No matter how much you're entertained by the way... (laughs) (laughs) So, the the Globe and Mail's review is just, Holmes and Watson is Is bad. bad. (laughs) That's a professional review. Two out of four? Yeah. What? In, yeah, <laughs> what would it? What would be there if it had a worse review? Uh, big British film critic Mark Kermode says it is indescribably bad. Fuck it's just, yeah! It's just such a terrible goddamn movie. The smell of uh, Jim Lane from the Sacramento News says the smell of flop sweat permeates the movie like real sweat in a locker room. It's too bad to be offensive, too inert to be annoying. <laughs> It's just, and so, but the worst and most offensive bit about it, other than the fact that it's boring as shit, and honestly, if it wasn't for the fact that I thought that maybe we were going to cover it on the podcast as like an episode, I would have walked out, and I was there with a friend. Yep. If I was there by myself, I would have worked out after half an hour. It was just so fucking boring and so predictable. And not funny and annoying, despite what the Sacramento News says. Well, it sounds fucking hysterical, but I imagine that if I were <laughs> yeah, in you your situation, have to sit it. yeah, no, I think I would have. I, I don't think I would have made it out of the cinema. I Jesus. think I would have just, just <laughs> but, found a way to kill myself on a cinema chair. But like the worst bit is that like it does the exact same slow motion calculation <laughs> boxing scene that's in uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s Sherlock. film. The, well, the Sherlock movie. That's funny as. No, because that shit's it dumb anyway. It doesn't parody it. <laughs> it just does the scene. It's not like it, the scene. I mean, and I might be misremembering this because I've had many fucking fever dreams about this film. <laughs> but in my head, here's how the scene goes. He's like, oh, um, it's like slow motion freezes, and Will uh, Will Ferrell goes, I'm gonna throw my pipe at him to to discombobulate him, and then I'm gonna confuse him and slap him, and then it speeds up, and that's exactly what happens. You're like, oh, oh, so 
So nothing funny's gonna happen. Yeah, because it would be it's funny just, if like he tried to do that. Imagine if I threw my pipe. If he tried to do that and then like just actually got the shit bitten out of him, that would be more. No, he funny. wins. No, it's fine. Right. Like, but that scene, that that classic Robert Downey Jr. thing, that was a cool stylistic quirk of that movie, and it was an original thing. They just totally rip it off, and they don't satirize it or anything. They just do it. That's so weird. It's so weird. <laughs> It's really, really it sounds, weird. It sounds kind of like <laughs> kind of bad, sickening in a fascinating way. Where I don't, I don't want to experience it. But I feel like if I was sat down with like a scholar who mm. was like, let's really get into how humanity <laughs> managed to create this, then that would be interesting. But like befuddlingly, it's, like, it's got a really good cast. Hugh Laurie is in this movie. Yeah, Steve fuck. Coogan and Rob Brydon, both <laughs> of whom are brilliant. Maybe they thought it would make money. Rebecca Hall is in this movie. Ralph Faint. Ra- oh my god, I almost pulled a Ralph Fiennes. Yeah, you almost pulled a me. <laughs> Ray Fiennes is in this movie. That, that's that's going in. <laughs> Ralph Fiennes. Like, <laughs> it's it's got a, it's got a really good cast. And so Did the you sure you want to just- say Ray Fiennes again? Last time you said it, you threw up everywhere. <laughs> No, of course I'm going to go for it. What's the worst that could happen? Ralph. Ralph- <laughs> no, fuck this movie, man. Like, it's just every single time a gag happens... You're so like, that's got a Rotten Tomatoes rating of 9%. 9%. And that's the, like, overall rating. It has, like, oh, even no, the... Out of all the 50 <laughs> reviews, even the audience, Even the audience members are at 28%. Like, more than two-thirds of this... <laughs> An average five star audiences. rating of one point nine. That's not as bad as I would have thought. Thousand ratings. Yeah. So like, I feel like I played myself because every <laughs> single person, even the person at the cinema who sold me the ticket, I said like two to homes and once in days. They're like, what? Are you <laughs> sure? <laughs> they're like, yeah, two to the favorite. No worries. They're like, no, no, you heard me. <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, I, I thought you must have been joking. You'll be the, you'll be the only people in there. You're like, yeah. No, yeah. What do you want to see? It's just, no, I, I can't. It's one of those experiences where you're like, I don't know how to talk about this. This movie was bad. It's not so fun. It's not so bad. That's what's weird about it, though. It's bad in a confusing way where it's like, I didn't think it could be this bad. Like, I've seen movies that are this bad before and then something happens and it's like, oh, they know. Mm. But but they they don't. They know. They think they're like, these people think they're running the funniest movie ever. Venom was fucking terrible, right? And so Tom Hardy puts on the voice of someone that's like fucking brain damaged for the whole movie because he's like well this movie's terrible <laughs> you stuff to like you can intuit it you can sense it sometimes you can even feel it hey mrs c how you doing eddie ain't nothing changed with the weather you know yes so you will be this armless legless faceless thing won't you rolling down the street like a turd in the wind do you feel me eddie what was that Oh, I have a parasite. Yeah. Name is Chen. And so he's like, well, Eddie Brock is just yeah, going to be so like, not Tom Hardy. If you don't have the luxury of sounding like Stephen Hawking on Helium, there's not much that can <laughs> like actually save the movie. Every single joke in this movie is either you're watching it and you're like, oh, I, I bet that what they're going to do is this, and it's that for nine minutes. Okay. <laughs> or you're like, oh, I bet the joke's going to be this, and there's no joke, and the scene goes straight for what's four that, minutes. What's that podcast where they watched uh, Step Brothers and then Sex in the City 2? And they watch it every day for a right, year. Right, no, it's not... Step- yeah, so um, the worst idea of all time is Tim Batten, Guy Montgomery, two New Zealand comedians, and they wa- They re- each week they re- watch a movie and then immediately afterwards record a podcast and review it. But every single week, it's the same movie. And, and for and the first abysmal. year, it was Grown Ups 2. Right, so, <laughs> Grown Ups 2, sorry. So by episode 30, 
They're recording episode 30, having just watched Grown Ups 2 for the 30th time. So it becomes, if, if you want like a podcast to binge through at work or whatever, it's great. Because it becomes this bizarre fever dream where like right. by episode 30, they have this shorthand between the two of them for entire sequences of the movie. <laughs> so they're like, all right. So of course the Steve Buscemi Golpo scene happens and then like, and they invent like whole games and segments about shit happening in the movie. It's bizarre. And like by episode 50, they go fucking crazy. They, they, they did like a... <laughs> They did like a Kickstarter to record one milestone episode of the po- Grown Ups podcast in America, live in LA or whatever. And one of their Kickstarter awards was like, if you put in X amount of money, you get uh, a, a copy of the script written from memory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good shit. It's like, so this insane. feels like the perfect candidate for them to do that. Like, yeah. Because it's so... They just it's, annou- so it's horrendously bad. Ridiculous. They've done a couple of seasons. They did Sex in the City. They just announced... Sex in the City 2, by the, the way, still holds yeah. my personal worst movie I've so ever seen. they did that. They, yeah, they yeah, did a yeah. whole season watching Sex in the City 2 every week. It's so... It, I, I, <laughs> I went to that movie with a girlfriend at the time, and she dragged me to it, and, like, boy, did that contribute to... I never brought <laughs> I never brought it up but when we were having serious arguments later that was broiling in the back of my head <laughs> under what I was saying where I was like well I mean how could you be a good person you <laughs> you dragged me to that I, that's just outside my range of possible actions but you you voluntarily went <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. You took advantage. So, so yeah, it would be nice if they did this. This as sounds like it would be fun. I think they, they not going to blame them, decided to take a break from doing the podcast for a little bit <laughs> and decided to come back after popular demand to do all of a whole season of Sex and the City 1. Ah, oh, fuck. We got to come up with like a segment mm. where we do some dumb shit like that. No. There would be no. This is, this is this, not this like, podcast not a whole stupid movie. and inconvenient <laughs> enough already. I don't have the time or mental capacity for that. But we got to do something like that. Yeah. Something where it's like we've seen something so many times that. Yeah. Dear listener, look at how long this episode goes for. <laughs> it takes us four times that time to produce this episode. Yes. I do not have time to watch grown ups every f- fucking week for your entertainment. I feel like I'm descending close enough into madness as it is <laughs> without being forced to watch a third movie. But you know. Look at his email or whatever. He Should really watch- does love you, I promise. <laughs> no, no, I don't. Yeah, let's talk about a real film. Launch of the first one? Uh, yeah. Ballad of Buster Scruggs? Fuck yeah. Uh, got released on Netflix? I reckon before I probably started getting into movies and shit, Yep. I didn't really know who the Coen brothers were, but they've done a lot of stuff that I've yeah, seen. Yeah, they're, they're fantastic. So they're, they're a really famous directing duo, and they're kind of like, <clears throat> I don't know, in a way they're kind of like a, a, a filmmaker's filmmaking duo, you know, where... You, you, des- you describing who the Coen brothers are for people that don't know them just shows that you don't know shit. Everyone knows the Coen brothers. I don't think so. I mean, maybe. So they did No Country for Old Men. They did True Grit back in 2010, if you've seen it. I personally missed it. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou, which a lot of people studied. Uh, I know we did. They also... Oh, that's right. So they gained a lot of fame from doing the movie adaptation of Fargo. <laughs> so that that's what a lot of people know them for. They've had an incredibly successful career thus far. All their movies have been really good they're, they're that I've f- seen. Fucking fantastic. Hail that's- Caesar recently was very good. That was a George Clooney one set in the golden age of Hollywood. They did Inside Lewin Davis, which was about like, what if that guy that piloted the X-Wing in Star Wars was actually Bob Dylan? That movie was very good. True Grit was like a remake of that western, really good. But they have a they have a style. Oh, Burn like, After Reading as well. That's one of my favorite comedies of all time. Yeah, all their 
All their movies are quite funny, but they have movies that are specifically also... <laughs> oh, of course, also, fucking... Um, uh, uh, no. oh, I was trying to get like a... <laughs> what are those sliding scale ones where it sounds like it's going infinitely? <laughs> <laughs> what are they called? The Big Lebowski. <laughs> That's not what they're called. I know they're they called did... a sliding scale or some shit. Yeah, I know one of them tones. The Big Lebowski is another one they did. Um, shitloads of movies, but they have this style for like very sharp comedy writing in their movies. Often, they're the movies aren't necessarily going for any air of realism. They're more sort of going for like a very movie kind of tone, if that makes sense. Like it's very sort of all all the characters are kind of exaggerated. Um... Shepherd's tone. <laughs> <laughs> Is what it's called. Yeah. We'll just put beef station in the left ear and Andrew's fucking podcast about sound design in the right ear. And you can just pick, a, pick an earbud out will. And coincidentally, Oscar and I will line up perfectly in our conversation. <laughs> um, really, though? Will we? No. The point is, they're very funny. Very kind of... Um, <laughs> Exaggerated to comic effect in a lot of the films that they yeah, do. Yeah, so a lot of their stuff is like caricaturish, caricaturish kind of shit. Yeah. Um. So apparently, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Oh, also. Um. So we've. Sorry. Oh my god. Keep, no, sorry, keep, Andrew. Keep Andrew, talk about off. the fucking Wilhelm scream for a couple minutes, and I'll jump back in with this movie. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> god, can you imagine if someone made a Wilhelm scream into a shepherd's tone? <laughs> yeah, it's just got. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Beef Station Up Late. Hell yeah. Um, oh, I've totally forgotten what I interrupted you to say. We've been describing, just in case you don't know, let us just describe two of the most iconic Hollywood directors of all time. If you're not sure, Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> like, that's what we've been doing for the last five minutes. The listeners know. Everyone knows. I and wasn't going to talk about that, I swear. Okay. I was going to talk about something else. Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck, it was related. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> this sorry. is going... I'm so sorry. <laughs> this is going to be real, real <laughs> tough. <laughs> <laughs> Man, ah! another episode that goes for an hour and 40 minutes. How do they do it? How do they get so much content? <laughs> there is 20 minutes of content. Listen, I just know that when you heard us laughing there, that went for twice as long before Andrew got it. So uh, <laughs> no, it did not. Battle of Scruggs is a Western anthology comedy film written, directed, and produced by the Coen brothers. It starts a whole bunch of different people, and one of the most notable things about this movie is that it is six short stories, six not in any way connected short films that are all set in, like, the American Wild West. Mm. Apparently, they wrote this movie over... Apparently, they wrote this movie over the course of about 15 years or something. Um, 20 to 25 years, in fact. Wow, shit. It's probably it's like, like they had ideas bouncing around. They had around an idea. They, had... they wrote a short film like, oh, we don't really want to do a short film at the moment. Let's shelve that. They had another idea. And they sort of, it got to the point where they're like, right, if we write a couple more of these, we could actually just have a whole movie that's like this. When I was reading through some of the critical reviews of this stuff, yeah. um, or, or of, of the ballad of Buster Scruggs. All right. I was, was going to ask which ballad you were They, um... Of Big Al, the production on a large Allosaurus, which was found and they recreated its journey. 
skip to the end of this episode. We've recorded the ballad of Big Al, and it'll be right at the end. <laughs> Gotta watch that shit again. It's a uh, spinoff of Walking with Dinosaurs. Oh, it's a real thing? Ballad of Big Al, yeah. Fuck yeah, it was great. No. That would have been incredible improv. I mean, not really. The <laughs> no, no, no. Big Al that would have been, been mediocre improv if, at best. If I had to make up something that you believed, that would have been perfect improv. <laughs> like, yeah, that's and you so, fucking, that's so believe believable. It. I thought you fucking made it up. <laughs> well, that just goes to show that your radar's off. Shut up and talk about your dinosaur. Fucking hell. <laughs> a lot of the critical acclaim, and <laughs> we'll just cut it there. A lot of the critical acclaim said it's quite... Um, it was quite a bold move for them to make it into this like vignetted style because that's not something that's really encountered much at all. And if it is, the vignettes usually have some form of narrative connection. But in this, sure. they, they pro- I kept waiting for them to to do it. I kept waiting for them to line it up, and they just don't. I don't there think is it's that bold. I think it's cool. I think even like it's it's cool. I really like yeah, it. But I'm cool, saying, but I'm like- hey, look. I'm just saying what the critics are saying. I don't think it's that I'm brave. Not, They're the you, fucking Cohen brothers. You shoot the message. They're man. known for doing weird, doing weird, wacky, arty shit. Mm. It's always good, in as far as I've had experience with them. Right. Like, yeah, it's good. It's, of course, it was going to be good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, I think all the stories for the most part I really enjoyed. It opens with the ballad of Buster ballad Scruggs. of Buster Scruggs. <laughs> I was trying to work out what, what the name of the fucking. <laughs> You know, there's a word that means like the as titled whatever. No, not that. Eponymous. That's the name. Eponymous. Let's skip back twenty seconds. Uh, that's a, that's up with an the... animal native to Africa, man. Ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> Isn't the eponymous the one that has a? It's actually more lethal than you yeah, think. Yeah, it's the most deadly everyone, animal in the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. E- everyone thinks yeah. it's the shark. More people die to eponymous or attacks every year than. <laughs> <laughs> Is an eponymous attack suicide? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Beef you know, Station. You know the eponymous can't actually bring it underwater? <laughs> Pygmy eponymous is... An eponymous <laughs> can hold its breath for 11 minutes. <laughs> the eponymous, its teeth are... Its, its teeth aren't that sharp, but they're like really wide, and so even though they're blunt, it's actually the surface area of the top jaw and the bottom jaw of the eponymous that's what crushes. <laughs> so the ballad of us is gross. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> It's good. <laughs> Is this usable? <laughs> uh, we're going to find out. <laughs> no, man, you should actually... You know that the episode that has like three downloads? No, go back and listen to it. It's pretty good. I mean, no, you've got to get through the first 45 minutes, but after that, it really picks up. <laughs> Oh my! Folks, <laughs> it's been a long day for both of us. <laughs> Man, we should work for eight hours every day we record the podcast. And I, and I don't know if it's showing or not, but. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go. It's been a hot day in the nation's capital. <laughs> We're leaving hell on earth. No, it's fine. We talked about the first little vignette on the best of episode. I think it's kind of this musical, kind of quirky, little fun comedy bit to open where... Imme- like, immediately sort of breaks the fourth wall. Exactly. Where Tim Blake Nelson is Buster Scruggs, so talks to Cameron, too. he's like, oh, I'm Buster Scruggs, you might know me. He's like the songbird of the South or whatever, and he sort of sings his way into like walking through the saloon and like shooting at people while he smiles and dances, and it's it's funny. That people was the thing. challenging him to duels and that. This was the funniest one, and I think it's interesting yeah. they chose to lead with that, because I felt like it was pretty disarming. It sets this tone, and the rest of them are like fucking depressing, for the most part. <laughs> yeah, most so of like, them are, I mean, yeah, it, unhappy. Apparently 
apparently most of these stories, for the most part, these stories are almost sequenced chronologically from the time which they were written. So I think they wrote the Buster Scruggs oh, one okay. first. Right. Uh, and I'm not about to explain the word chronologically to you, but the one that comes last <laughs> is the one that wrote roughly most recently. Um, the next one is, and there's a lot of support. I feel like most of these short stories, um, <laughs> most of these short stories, we're not really going to spoil many of the short stories, I think, because they're so short that we, it'd be kind of boring to just explain the plot of all six of them. But I think part of the fun is like all these famous faces popping up. Long stories, I'll spoil anything. <laughs> if they're short, I don't go after them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, I think I think a lot of the fun of this is, like, all the famous faces that pop out of nowhere. So, if you're curious in seeing it, it's really funny. I think if you like the Coen brothers, if you liked... Uh... It, uh, I think... So, the first one is genuinely funny. It's, like, laugh yeah. out loud funny. There are uh, maybe half of the other ones that are, yeah. like, very black comedy yeah, fu- funny. Yeah, and then a lot of them... I mean, I think the last one isn't very funny at all. The last one's no. kind of just like a slice of life kind of thing. You just It just sort of finishes and you sort of go, like, huh. Yeah. Okay. And I think tonally throughout the story of the last one, it's just these people on a coach ride and they're just sort of talking about what they do and... What oh, they, that's the last what, one. Yeah, yeah what right. they've been up to and two of them are bounty hunters and one of them, I don't know, is some, some rich lady or whatever. And mm. they're all just kind of just talking about what they've been up to recently and where they're all going. They're all strangers and they sort of get to their destination and the thing ends. And you sort of just go... Right. Like, Huh. It's and it's kind strongly of like, metaphorical. Yeah, I mean, and it's kind of. <laughs> I mean, I, it's, I'm, I'm I mean, probably whatever. not remembering what it is, but like, the, well, they arrive at like the Death Hotel or some <laughs> shit like that. It's like, it's better than that, but yeah. you know, it's like, yeah. Well, let's get, let's all get off our four horses to the apocalypse yeah. and get inside for some. All right, stew. wave goodbye to the Grim Reaper. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So, like, I mean, I didn't really get very much out of the last one. I thought it was it was good the whole way through, and then mm. it sort of just ends. You're like, uh, ah. So I remembered what I was going to say earlier, and wait for it, it's related. I watched Fuck. a really good video essay, I think by Nerdwriter maybe, um, on Sorry, why the Coen brothers, uh, or, or the Coen brothers' speciality of dialogue, and how they make yeah. dialogue so so believable, and so kind of, they, they have such a unique tone for it. <laughs> and it's to do with how they use editing and timing, um, and... They do stuff, so, so there's like this thing called the 180 degree rule, which is, um, there's actually two 180 like degree shot, rules in film. Thing. Yeah, so yeah. there's one 180 degree rule that relates oh, to like the ISO and the shutter speed, and there's another 180 degree rule which relates to shooting <laughs> shooting dialogue in a conversation. But it's basically that you should always be, you should always be, if two people are talking to each other, you should never cut so you're standing on the other side of them. You should always be cutting on the same side of them. So you never cross a 180 degree arc, because otherwise they'll swap places on the screen and it'll be very disorienting. Oh, yeah, is it bottom line? You always want to shoot people off on an angle, not straight on, basically. If people are looking at each other, having a Well, it doesn't matter if you do it straight on, but the point is that you can't be filming from the left-hand side of those two people and then from the right-hand side of those two people because then when you do shoot straight right, on, no, okay, it'll be swapped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Anyway, um, but the, the Coen brothers like mess around with that a little bit and just that through... Just Coen to, brothers just <laughs> never learnt that rule. <laughs> well, through the timing and the framing and stuff, they generate conversation where characters have very natural pauses. It's sometimes a bit awkward and stilted. Yeah. They often combine that with having a really charismatic character sort of leading the conversation and the other person... So like Fargo does this a fair bit where one character will be very charismatic and lead the conversation and the other character will react as if a real person were being talked to in that weird-ass way. Right. And so they're just like, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. I, I, I gotta say, I don't really understand what you mean. <laughs> that sort of shit. And so it's it's funny because like you get one character that's enthralling to which watch. Which kind of reminds me of the bank teller scene, which is the second right. movie where James Franco comes in to rob this bank, and the the bank teller is just an absolute fucking nutcase. Yeah, he he, he wears pants. 
pans, <laughs> like frying pans, as armor, and then tries to kill people while wearing it, yeah. and is also like impervious to any harm. <laughs> like, so like, it's great. One of them is this fucking Looney Tunes character yeah. that also kind of looks like I don't know. He's got like the crazy if Yosemite glasses. Sam was real. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, and then <laughs> James Franco's like, "Come on, man, I'm just trying to rob a bank. Just let yeah. just give me your money." Yeah, and he's sort of the self-insert, um, but yeah, that kind of reminds me of a, a video essay I watched this week, <laughs> all about how the Coen Brothers do really good uh, minor characters. Right, talking about how um, tiny little characters in other films might have a couple lines and you forget them, are really often really memorable in Coen Brothers, Coen Brothers films that often make the movie. So, for example... No like, Country for Old Men had a lot of those. Yeah, and like, so in the Hollywood George Clooney movie recently, Hail Caesar, Caesar. Um, Jonah Hill, one of the examples they use is like, if they use really memorable character for like, no time at all... Famous like actor, jo- you mean. Jo- sorry, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah famous actor. Um, Jonah Hill, for example, was in Hail Caesar for like a minute and a half. Right. Like, oh, fuck, Jonah Hill. And then he's gone. Yeah. Um, or there's this Great. other lady where like, where they have like really crazy exaggerated mannerisms. Like the the lady that edits the film is just constantly puffing on a cigar, uh, puffing on a cigarette while she's editing the film and she has this crazy <laughs> accent. Um, or they're talking about how like um, char- little how minor characters accent. sometimes like get introduced, like pop onto the screen in a weird way. Um, yeah. Like I think one of them come like the, the clerk in this hotel and one of the Coen Brothers movies I haven't seen pops up through this trap door in the floor below the concierge desk and like great little interesting quirky highly exaggerated yeah like how uh, do we take the mundane and make it interesting yeah they do that effect exactly and, so, and that's and so the bank teller for example in the second scene where it's it's the second that second scene is really just James Franco and the bank teller that's the yeah. whole scene pretty much um the whole the whole short it goes for like fifteen minutes or whatever. Um, the bank teller just looks absolutely insane. Yeah, like he kind of looks He's like a, cartoon, a mole man kind of <laughs> from um from Atlantis. Yeah, he kind of <laughs> looks like maybe like a cross between the mole man from Atlantis and like the collector from the Guardians of the Galaxy. Like he just looks nuts. Ah, um, there's a like, character I, that I'd love to see. No, the he looks like another there. of the characters from Atlantis. No, he looks like a cross between mole man and the guy who's like. Whiskey beans, bacon, and lard. <laughs> Whiskey beans, bacon, and lard. <laughs> that guy. Um, what I was going to say, and here's how it links back to what you were talking about, is that um, so in, in, in this film, I'll step back one step. In yeah. this film overall, the Coen brothers have chosen to sacrifice a lot of narrative continuity over time. Yeah. And instead, what they've done is doubled down on the, the aesthetic look and the yeah. stylistic choices of this film. And it works really well. It works incredibly well. Yeah. Because what what happens is you get this, this story that's completely self-contained and set in this really unique, memorable place. I remember where all of these individual stories took place very, very, very closely. Yeah. And it works incredibly well. But the thing that you don't then necessarily get is character development, right? Because yeah. you, you have to you've got to be really focused on developing a character if if you want to do it in a shorter amount of time than you would normally get. And I don't think yeah. that they actually do try particularly hard in this to do character development. Not really. Because one of the ways in which they often do character development in their other films is through dialogue, right? Where yeah. characters bouncing off each other, they're very realistically interacting. And so I think here's where it links. Yeah. The last one, The Moral Remains, which is the one that you were talking about that basically just takes place with four people in a carriage, was them yeah. saying, here's our thing. Here's that dialogue that right. you're so used to. Yeah. Is having Let's just have four characters. It's shot entirely within a carriage for 15 minutes. It felt very and they similar just to the, talk. Yeah, it felt very similar to the Hateful Eight carriage opening. Um, yeah, right. Which is people yes. talking yeah. forever. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, I, mean, I, I enjoyed those scenes as well, but... I mean, the last scene, the, la- the last short story mostly just annoyed me because 
it just like, didn't seem to go anywhere. And like, not that yeah, I'm adver- it, but... not that I'm adverse to that, but it's sort of like it seems like it was kind of maybe building somewhere out of some quirky ending, and it just kind of just didn't. Yeah, I thought they were going to run over an IED or something, but <laughs> yeah, unfortunately not. <laughs> Spoiler no, alert for how the last vignette yeah. doesn't end. <laughs> I mean, from a practical point of view as well, like a, a lot of these short stories take place over. Like, within the mo- world of the movie, maybe 20 minutes to half an Yeah, hour. yeah, yeah. Like, they're so they're I mean, often in real time, yeah. Meal Ticket, I think, was one of my favorites. That was one where it just started. And I mentioned before, a lot of the fun of this is finding out who the cast is, because there's no trailers, yeah. really, that were out for this. I think if you're vaguely interested in seeing it, it's fantastic. Watch it. An interesting thing that Andrew mentioned during the top 10 is that because they're all completely unrelated short stories... I think you'll get a lot out of sitting down and watching it in one go because it sort of gives you this general sensation, this general mood that's consistent through all of them mm. and sort of gives you this idea of the world they're building. But equally, if you can't be fucked, I don't personally think the situation is at all sacrificed or adversely impacted by watching a couple short stories one night. I watched it over like three days. It. Yeah, right. And it was still um, in my, my top 10. So, so we both, both watched it the same way, so maybe not. But right. like, maybe we don't have a good... I don't think uh, so. I think it's on that, fine. Like, yeah, I think that if you want to watch a, if you can't be fucked to watch a movie, treat this as a series of short stories. It's all like having a box pause. of celebrations where, like, if you <laughs> eat, if you eat the whole thing at once, like, yeah, you might. Well, you'll feel gross. Yeah. But what I meant is, like, yeah, you can eat the whole thing at once, but it's each individual item is just as good by itself as it is if you're eating them in a chain. So except go ahead. the flakes, right? Maybe it's a bad metaphor. And like now in hindsight, the Turkish delights, but no one else does. And so I like flakes. Like what's wrong box. with flakes? What do you mean? What's wrong with flakes? What's wrong with it's flakes? It's just shavings from the bottom of the floor that are stuck down under a heat lamp. I think it's all right. Yeah, because you're a sucker. I mean, I um, don't. They're not my favorite, but I, I wouldn't say there's something's wrong with them. Turkish this- delight, on the other hand. Get absolutely fucked. You don't like the Turkish Delight? No. Oh, you're a loser. What is wrong with you? The best. No. (laughs) The best? Yeah. The best? Yeah. What the fuck? I mean, you know, come on. Have you only ever eaten one (laughs) chocolate? Yeah, the favourites are the ones that just come... You you, you get... get Yeah, Turkish Delight favourites. The favourites are the, 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 the box where, like, you always find them, like, half opened... On Boxing Day, yeah, and favorites of the boxes where they just give you like six. They only Turkish have six in the bottom. bottom of thing, right? <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, yeah. No, so all, that's all right. there is is yeah. six Turkish delights. We're learning a lot about your character, and your dad's always like, "Oh, I don't know, that's just what came with the box." Oh, and like, no, no, no. So that said, that long extended, <laughs> intolerable spoiler warning aside, um, Liam Neeson is like. Liam Neeson and Harry Melling are the only two characters okay, so in Meal Ticket. Go and watch this. Just <laughs> humor me. Go and watch this movie, and if you don't have time to watch the whole movie, go and find the third or which which third one is meal it? ticket. The one go and the find the go and find the third vignette, and then watch that yeah. now. All right. Welcome, right, welcome back. back. Harry Melling was Dudley from Harry, Harry Potter. Potter. Yeah. If you couldn't recognize him, and if you didn't look it up, that's who the fuck that was. Yeah. That little close-eyed motherfucker. I believe the, the fat little fucker couldn't get the work. Unbelievable. So he chopped all his limbs off. I think it's one of the stories where it, ha- it had plenty of character development. Because yeah, I think had so. Liam Neeson as this like um, traveling shi- sideshow circusy kind of proprietor, and, and like then, a father. Yeah, or I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily know whether that he. Was I don't think he was, but I uh, had a huge yeah. sensation of like 
just paternalistic care. Liam Neeson's the dude that drives his cart around and like drums up tickets and gets an audience for the show, ta- right. traveling from town to town. Harry Melling plays uh, the artist. Liam Neeson is the ringleader to a one-man circus. Yeah. Who, like, sets up on the back of this cart and recites stories. And so, for example, he knows, like, um, oh, those fucking speeches. The famous speech that, uh, what's his name gave at that Civil War. Is it War. Shakespeare or some shit? He knows, all these, he knows all these Shakespeare. It's always the same speech. Yeah. He has this patter that Hell goes yeah. for, like, two hours. Don't know if you guys can hear that, but it is fucking raining. Oh, man, we're going to take a quick yeah. break and shut the windows. It's always the same speech. It's always the same speech. It's like it, it seems like it's like an hour and a half long show that they sort of cut together all the time. And he knows like uh, famous sort of Civil War speeches, and he knows famous poems and all sorts of things. Um, and the, the that that story I'll sort of talk about it because it was one of my favorite ones. Shows them sort of cutting. It's like a montage of them doing exactly the same show, town to town to town. With him doing you, exactly the same like, speech. You, hear you start it. to recognize... It actually... One of the really interesting things about that is you start to recognize parts of the speech and yeah. you start to have bits that you like and bits <laughs> that you find irritating and whatever. Yeah. Like, it gets... They repeat the speech enough that you get a slice of the sensation of the characters where it's just like... it. Was part, sometimes yeah. you really get into it and sometimes it's just fucking autonomous and you're yeah. like, here we go. I'll, I guess yeah. I'll say the thing. And you really sort of get an idea of what it must be to be these two people mm. traveling downtown, especially as their audiences start to dwindle um, and they sort of fall on hard times. And that's sort of how the story goes from there. That was really good. Um, but a lot of the other ones sort of really take place over a quick amount of time, which is probably why there isn't very much character development. Yeah. The gold one is really good. That's really, really just like liked that. a one-man show type story. It's fucking Tom Waits. Who's this big like American singer songwriter dude? Um, he's like I don't know. I would I haven't listened to much of his stuff, but he's kind of like a Leonard Cohen type dude. In that right. he's been like he's been around for fucking ages. He's been doing all sorts of huge, critically acclaimed work since like the folk 70s. or country or what? What's going on? He's like a rock blues. Experimental jazz kind of guy, <laughs> some, <laughs> some Leonard Cohen just, motherfucker. Just, just reading shit on Wikipedia, but no, he's um he he does all sorts of weird type singer songwriter type yeah, shit. Okay, cool. Um, I didn't know he was an actor, but here he is in this movie. Um, and he plays this like gold prospector that's just trying to like frantically dig and find this vein of gold he thinks is by the side of the by the side of the creek for a couple days. What um, was that one called? That one. Oh man, what do you what do you want me to do? Look Straight it up. Throwing your real curveball. They all have weird titles. All Gold Canyon. Um, right, and I thought that was I thought that was a cool title because like some of the this was one where it really hit me how much they were going for the aesthetic yeah. because the cinematography that's used to depict like this particular part of the environment that it takes place in just yeah. the the world around him which takes place pretty much just in this one canyon is <laughs> is amazing and it it really does give you the sense of like. Um, I don't know, gold being the sunlight and the, just the way that it's lit and the color palette and stuff. It's, yeah. It was very interesting. It's interesting because it gives you the title. It gives <laughs> you the title of each vignette before it's like you see it. a framing narrative of like a dude reading through a book and yeah. every time he stops at like a, one of the plates in the book with like a nice oil painting, there's like a quote under the oil painting and that's how each story ends. And then it tells the story... As if this book was a book of short stories about the West or whatever, and and so like what what happens is when you're going into the in the same way that uh, the title of a film colors your experience of it somewhat yeah. from the start, like yeah. because you get six titles of films, you start to go, oh, okay, so this one was called 
all gold canyon. What's what's this going to be about? You know, like what was the, the last one was called? <laughs> I don't really get what you're going getting out with this title. I don't. It's, it's a, I don't think the title means very much to me at all. <laughs> well, my experience going into it, and like, let's just delve down into one. But I think this happened a fair bit for all of them. Was yeah. like. I saw that it was called Old All Gold Canyon, and then once it was established that it was an old man prospecting, I was like, "All right, so I guess what this is going to be is that he's gonna he's gonna strike rich, and he's gonna find gold literally everywhere around him because it's all gold canyon. And so what's going to happen is that he finds it. It's going to be like fucking paradise, and then it'll be like a paradise lost thing where he can't take any of it home, or his donkey dies, and he can't get back home, or whatever. I went through all of this in my head. It was nothing like what it was. It was just real smart, Bella. I mean, like the story is actually about him triangulating a gold vein, (laughs) but it's done in a very, very cinematic fashion. A very quirky, yeah, fast-paced kind of comedy, Coen Brothers. Yeah, with like one character spending a lot of time by themselves, being very meticulous, that type of shit. So it wasn't that. uh, I I don't know. I I feel like they they sort of did a bit of a bait and switch of my expectations with a lot of the titles. Yeah, was my point. Okay, yeah, <laughs> fine. I thought a lot of the music in this was really cool as yeah, well. Yeah, it was great. A lot of great little soundtrack. It felt as a lot of original original recordings of country music type stuff as well. Maybe I'm getting this confused with Red Dead Redemption's purest little one big Similar haze. aesthetic. Um, my favorite story in the whole thing was the second last one that featured Zoe Kaz- Kazan um, as the main character, who's this young woman who's traveling on this long sort of uh, horse and cart or buffalo cart procession traveling from one side of the country to the other. I think traveling from... Who know, gives a fuck I'll make to it up and say Texas to Portland, Oregon or whatever. That's what um, I said. On this big buffalo train of people that are paid to be sort of supervised on safe passage all the way to Portland, Oregon. Um, I thought that was really good. And I thought that was that was one of the most interesting stories because it took place, I suppose, because it probably had the most character development out of mm. all of them and it took place over the longest period of time out of all of them. Cause really, Just about to say. Half these stories take place over a couple days or 20 minutes or whatever. And there's not the point isn't the character development, like you were saying. Um, and that was really good. It's sort of about this about this girl who her and her brother are on their way to Portland, Oregon. Her brother to sort of start a business with this dude. And this business partner is also looking for a wife. And he's going to set his brother up with this guy she's never met in Oregon. And right. things sort of go wrong along the path and along the trail to Oregon. And they sort of meet people and meet other people in this procession uh, of wagons and things going to Oregon. And it's kind of the story about that. I mean, the sort of... Uh, and in a, in a very Coen Brothers way, like... Uh, from a from the perspective of one person, like a yeah. lot of shit happens, but from the perspective of a large group of people, like not much happens. You know what I mean? Like it's very, it's it's very yeah. much that like slice of life kind of um, one. Let's let's take a very close look at a few people's in depth experience. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the a lot of the movies, a lot of the little short stories in this movie, are like that. It's a lot of little slice of life type stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, in this weird, is exaggerated tone. That so I mean, it's really great. Well, if this, if this is clearly not how this stuff really happened, what's the point of me kind of watching it? But the way in which it's, but the way in which it's sort of depicted tonally and in terms of like the performances from the characters and the snappy writing and all that, um, makes it really worth watching. Yeah, it's very compelling. Yeah, yeah for sure. I don't really think I have very much to say about this. I think it's really good fun. I don't really. I suppose there's six fucking stories in this, so it's hard to talk specifically about the film without spoilers because you have to talk specifically about the first five yeah, minutes six narrative six arcs stories. Yeah. yeah and I, I you know I would talk a little more about the editing and the cinematography of 
all of these types of films. I'll yeah. sum it up by saying like it's all great. Um, it's all very much that that type of like um, very accessible, highly cinematic style stuff um which means i i I really enjoyed it um but i also don't think it's too like it's too weird to watch or whatever you know it's it's really interesting um it's all very tight like it's made by people who know exactly what they're doing yeah there was some chatter around this being released on netflix because all netflix shit is bad usually um, and they were like, well, why did, why didn't, why, why did Netflix have enough to buy this? You know, like, why was this? And I, I think Netflix a makes money of two based things. not on how good their shit is. They have, you know, they, they make like fucking millions of dollars every month based on how many subscribers they have. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. They don't For need sure. to release good shit. It's not a good representation of their business model. But what I was going to say is the fact that they got signed to Netflix and someone else didn't have more money to give them about that. Yeah. Feels to me like a big red flag. And it felt to a lot of people like a big red flag. And so when I was hearing about this, I, I actually s- sort of slept on it for a really long time yeah. because I thought, uh, I kind of, I really enjoyed a lot of the other Coen Brothers stuff and I just don't want to have a bad experience going in. <laughs> this is great. This yeah. movie's great. Any of the bad criticism about it that's that's like, well, that explains why it was released on Netflix is just people yeah. who well, personally don't enjoy it. I the feel film. like this perhaps shows, and talking out of my ass here, perhaps shows that like maybe Netflix is one of those people that sort of they just buy something after it's done or they don't seem to have very much creative direction on films because it's not as if all it's not as if all the bad stuff I've seen on Netflix has been bad for the same reason. Like no, they um, just need to pick their yeah. Pick and their I think IP maybe better. the reason why people are sort of becoming disillusioned to Netflix is because previously, when Netflix was really just sort of getting started with all this original programming type stuff, it was like Netflix had the rights to all these TV shows and movies, and they also did House of Cards. The first one was House and of Cards, House of right? Cards that was, was what I fucking mean, blew them one of those up. Big ones. It was House, House of Cards. I think it was, was like, House of Cards at the time. One of the most critically acclaimed shows on television. That was the one that did the binge watch thing, right? That was yeah. the one where they were. That was. House of Cards was the one where they were like, we're going to release it all at once. You have it all. And yeah, so exactly. people were like, like going crazy. fucking nuts for it. Yeah. There were like um, two or three years across. I'm trying to figure out which season, like, <laughs> which season did we find out that Kevin Spacey is a rapist? <laughs> but the seasons I mean, leading up to that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, so f- they started with sort of like uh, Orange is the, sorry, House of Cards, Orange is the New Black, but House of Cards Narcos, was the, the first Stranger one, Things. Right? So within the first right. few years, Every single Netflix show you heard about was fantastic. If people were talking about, oh, there's this Netflix original show, you should watch it. It, The fact that it was on Netflix and it was an original show means it'll be fantastic. But now they've gotten so much money and they're getting so much more notoriety that they have the ability to produce stuff that's not only brilliant and critically acclaimed bits of TV art or whatever the fuck you want to say, but like... They produce so much stuff that not all of it's a winner. So I feel right. like people are sort of uh, tend to say like, oh, you know, but yeah, Netflix stuff is shit. But it's like, I mean, like, it's because it, not all Netflix stuff is this amazing art. Anymore. Some of it is really bad. Yeah. Like for in the instance, same way, it's like I don't have a movie studio where I'm like, oh, everything this movie studio does is great. I don't um, really remember movies. It's well, just because Netflix for, is memorable. Let's go you know? TV like, for a sec. HBO. Yeah. I think everything HBO puts together is like pretty fucking high production value. I so, yeah. Pretty high quality. I think I feel like as a network, they sort of won't. They won't take anyone. That you yeah. have to have something great, and yeah. then they'll go, okay, yeah, we'll back this, right? Yeah. Which some production studios do. I don't know. There are too many film production studios for me to have like personal favorites. Yeah. Um. But <laughs> the <laughs> I'm getting there. 
but um, okay. in terms of like, yeah, my, my gold standard is kind of HBO. Like whatever they do, I'm like, oh, okay, well, it's got to be pretty fucking good if it's on that. But like Netflix t- just released Bright, like they did the Death Note adaptation, which I'm, in terms of movies that I've oh, so bad. skimmed through, like they, it just feels like they, they will kind of fucking take anything at this point. Yeah. And maybe that's good. I mean, I think the closest I have to like a mainstream uh, movie production house, yeah, that I like is yeah. I've, I've pulled up the pages. Annapurna. They, I think, <laughs> sorry, stole your thunder. Yeah, no, you're all good. They, they, um, <laughs> it was reported that they were going to actually be actually going to be distributing. Oh, they did Ballad her. of Buster Scruggs, but they've done all sorts of fantastic shit. They did um, her. They did Detroit. They did Vice. If Bill Street could talk. All sorts of fantastic yeah, they, shit. These so, guys are great. But, like, I mean, people don't have favorite production houses, and it's only no. because, like, Netflix, oh, you know, the the uh, the fucking House of Cards guys, that, like, as soon as Netflix started producing shit that wasn't at a 10 out of 10, people were like, oh, it's terrible. But, but I feel like people will be less... It's not as if people it's, are being it's when like, they start oh, Warner Brothers, everything they does is awful. It's when they start producing shit. It's when they were originally producing stuff that was a 10 out of 10, and then they started releasing stuff that was a 4 out of 10. Yeah. And like, the first time it happened, you're like, whoa, they've missed yeah. the fucking mark on this one. And then the, th- the like, the 12th time it happened, it's like, well, Netflix is bad now. Well, I you know what the, I mean? Like, I suppose the problem is that, like, I don't get I don't get exposed to very much marketing in terms of, like, TV advertising. Neither do I. TV advertisers. Maybe I see, hear ads on the radio or, like, I see But the point is, I don't see many ads. And so, like, Netflix stuff is all, in my mind, equally as promoted on the Netflix front page. When, mm. you log in, when you log into Netflix, you're equally as likely to see a banner ad for House of Cards as you are to see as you are to see some bullshit sitcom that they just produced well, released last week. You are not personally equally as likely because you log into your account and get targeted. You know marketing. what I mean though? Like Well, no, that's very the important. Big banner ad on the front when you see it. They're predicting stuff that you will like. I mean yeah, I suppose so. But yeah, but like the big banner ad you see when you open up Netflix is just as big and just the same for the big shows they watch as for any other show. So you can be like, you know, for a lot of Netflix shows, I've only heard about because I've logged into Netflix and seen it. It's like, oh, I've heard about that. And it's like, well, they're not promoting it any more than they are, I suppose, on average for me, any other show. It's just that, like, they all seem to be presented equally on the Netflix side. Mm. And it doesn't help that they're fucking, like, thumbs up, thumbs down, aggregated. Absolutely dog shit. Is absolute horse shit. So you, all you have to go off is like, oh, well, the picture's the same size, so it must be the same quality. I think what this did was reaffirm to me that, Netflix I, ca- can do th- good that I can't use that as a good yeah. metric. And that's all yeah, I suppose. Sure. I suppose I spent ages saying that's all I meant is like, I don't think it's very <laughs> valid to say like, oh, it's Netflix, so it must be terrible. It's like, well, no. No. Maybe Netflix just has enough money that they can give money to people who've never done anything before or people that haven't necessarily proven themselves yeah. to be great. And if you see Colin Brothers are doing a Netflix thing, you can be like, right. This isn't necessarily going to be bad. It's the Coen brothers. I like the Coen brothers. The Netflix have kind of shown that if they work with people who I like, those people tend to produce it as good anyway. Like David Fincher's House of Cards is good. Yeah, Mindhunter was a Netflix exclusive that Fincher started, yeah. Yeah, right. There you go. So, like, people often write off Netflix shit recently as being all terrible. It's like, well, no, maybe they're just hiring a lot of people you haven't heard of that... Don't Maybe really they're just hiring a lot of people. They're just hiring And a you lot start of to get more natural variants in that. Because like, if fine. they have that much money yeah. and all they're trying to do is get more subscribers, I don't watch that much shit on Netflix mm-hmm. and I still keep my subscription. All you What's have to do is keep like one or two things I might watch in a week or two. <laughs> By and the I, way, I keep giving them the money. You know? Here's a bit like, of advice just yeah. for, for people out there. So, there was a time when I was quite busy and I <laughs> cancelled my... <laughs> which is... Uh, the last five years. Yeah. And at one point during that period of time, I canceled my Netflix subscription because... Don't um, do it. No. 
And they raise the prices regularly. Yeah, 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 yeah. But if you keep paying for it, then it stays the same. Yeah. Which is like such a huge dis- dis- disincentive to stop paying for Netflix ever. Yeah. Um, so I was paying like $12 a month for the fucking full like HD streaming on a bunch of devices, whatever. And now I'm paying like $16 a month That's instead. Which is terrible because I'm... Yeah. I could have just not done that, yep. not spent like $30 and mm-hmm. saved like hundreds of dollars. Yeah, it's but so- like anyway. the difference is $4, so it's four months of whatever. You all yeah. can do your own maths. It's a bit annoying. You paid for this podcast for entertainment, not for our financial advice. Um, <laughs> you also <laughs> of- didn't pay for this podcast. Pay for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Please pay for Scruggs, this podcast. I reckon not as good as Red Dead Redemption 2. <laughs> <laughs> wow. There we go. Yeah, okay. I reckon I'll, I'll probably back that. <laughs> better than that bullshit Adam Sandler hateful nine. Better than hateful eight. Movie. What? Oh, I like yeah, this no. better than hateful better eight. Better than hateful eight. Worse I liked. Than, I like. And I it, let it be said. I liked Hateful Eight a lot when yeah. it came out. Better than Hateful Eight. Worse than Red Dead Redemption Two. Yep. I reckon. Happy with Sincerely, if you can, I don't know, play Red Dead Redemption Two or watch your fucking housemate play Red Dead Redemption Two. Watch that. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's really good, and it's basically a movie anyway. So don't worry yeah. about. Uh, don't worry about feeling like you need to be in control of the narrative to enjoy it. Other westerns that are fantastic, worth mentioning. True Grit is another Coen Brothers movie that's mm. a western that came out years watch ago, that. featuring Jeff Bridges. It's really good. Uh, the young girl that is in it is really good as well. And of course, <laughs> Do you want to pull up her name? Ugly. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Get movie. a fucking name up. Come on, let's go. Uh, I'm I'm concerned about the amount that we asymmetrically name male and female actors. Uh, Fuck you. She's Even eight she years old. Young. It was the first movie she's ever been in. All right. So, Hayley Steinfeld was the young girl in True Grit. Interestingly enough, she's also in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. She's the person who voices Gwen Stacy. So, there you go. She's gone on oh, a yeah. bit of a career. She's been in two Pitch Perfect movies. She was in Ender's Game. She's been in a whole bunch of shit. And now I've redeemed myself. Can we move on? Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, Absolutely. If we name the male actor, we should name a female actor. <laughs> okay, fine. We named one of the most iconic actors of all time, but didn't name a movie a, a girl who's been in no other movies you've ever seen. She's not less of a person because she's younger. It's Jeff fucking Bridges and some eight-year-old yeah. who hasn't been in any other movies. And I've maybe seen. if people gave her more popularity in an early age, she would end up being as famous as Jeff Bridges. This is like me saying Robin Williams and the dude who played Police Officer Forty-Seven, and you're like, hold on, who's that yeah. second guy? Maybe if people gave him more credit, he would be someone that's not Robin Williams, but is as famous as Robin Williams. I despise the side I've come down on in this argument. All. <laughs> By no fault of my own. All right, shall we move on? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. I thought, I thought we'd uh, bring about a quick little game of our guess the quote game. Is this the mystery meat game? One of these quotes was. <laughs> one of these games is supposed to be called mystery meat. You know what? Fuck it. They're all mystery meat. I feel. Like, I think mystery meat was meant to be the poster one. Time Let's keep bonus. that. We got to think of another one. Okay. Fine. Mystery Meat 2. Let's play it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, the idea behind this little game we came up with that we play every now and then, we're trying to make them more, more regular, but, you know, we feel like if we have an episode that's long anyway, you don't want us to fucking go through this bullshit. <laughs> so, we'll put it in the middle so we don't know. Yeah. Um, I found a quote, a weird quote, a funny quote, an unusual quote from a popular movie or a movie that I know for a fact that my boy here has seen. He's got to try and guess what when it is. When he says my boy, that's me. That's him. All right. <laughs> um... Based on how quickly it gets, and I might give you a couple hot or colder type clues. Let's see how we go. The quote is, 
I love magic. Harry Potter. <laughs> Based on your reaction, I'm going to guess Prisoner of Azkaban. <laughs> no, it's number four. Oh, is it actually? Yeah, it's Harry Potter. <laughs> All right, Bird Box. <laughs> it's from Goblet of Fire. I thought that was a funny quote. Because Harry Potter walks into the Quidditch World Cup and looks at other people whizzing around and goes, What did I you love think magic? I was going to guess? You thought I was going to guess, like, Oh, oh the Prestige. A different magic related movie. I th- oh. <laughs> the s- Fuck me. Jesus. It's like the single most. The single most popular magically associated IP. I know. Listen, I'm sorry. It's hard to churn out this horse shit every week. And every now and then you get a dud, all right? I think that that turned right around. I think it's all all worked out sunny side up. (laughs) Fuck me. I've literally been sitting on that quote for weeks. (laughs) Before Christmas 2018, I found that. That's how long ago I had it. And I thought, you know what? I'll really save it for a special occasion. <laughs> I missed the birth of my first child in order to research that quote. <laughs> Fucking Harry Potter. Yes, it's Harry Potter. I missed the bird of my first child. Bird, bird box. box. <laughs> All right, so Bird Box. Sandra Bullock. It's another Netflix movie. It's kind of like The Quiet Place, but with blindfolds. What does that mean? It means it's set in like a post-apocalyptic future, whereby instead of like if... What if... if, if, what, if, if ah! what if What if you couldn't look at what anything? What if you couldn't look... Um, so, like, you know, Quiet Place, the superior of these two films. I'm coming out of the game saying it now. Quiet Place is like, if you make a big noise, there are these monsters that you can die. hear really well and they kill you. This is, like, I guess similar, but not really, in that, like, there are these weird monsters or weird beings or there's some sort of fucking paranormal shit that's taken over the earth in the modern day 21st century type thing, whereby... It's implied that it's religious. If you see them... They show you pictures they of like your parents fucking... fucking pos- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you see them, they make you see something so horrific that you want to kill yourself. So, yes. Um, well, that's it. That's the whole movie. And so, like, <laughs> the movie's told through, like, a series of flashbacks and flash-forwards about, like... So, the movie starts, like, four years after the incident and Sandra Bullock's, like, all alone with her two kids and, like, you know, four-year-old and four-year-old or whatever the so fuck So there's two is. two sort of uh, timelines and two, it flashes back and forth yeah, between exactly. them. Yeah, exactly. So Sandra's, present, with, present Sa- Sandra's with these two toddlers that look like three or four or whatever and then it, like... Oh, yeah, great. Yeah, you move your microphone away. They wouldn't have been able to hear that at all. <laughs> Jesus. I think it didn't come across. Let's see in post. <laughs> so Sandra Bullock's with, uh, with these two kids like four years after the incident. They're like three or four or whatever. Um... And they're trying to get to some this some sort of disaster has befallen the nation or the world, and they have to get to this like sanctuary where like humans have found some sort of like big fort or big community that's like immune to this this plague that's befallen the the planet. And then every now and then it'll zap back in time like four years to like the day or like the week that. Pretty much everything the, sort of kicks off. Yeah, it starts off on the day that shit goes down, and then yeah. it, it sort of tracks a few days after that. Yeah, exactly. Um, yep. and I think that's pretty interesting. And all in all, I think I enjoyed the film. 
Yeah, it was, it was net positive. It I was, think it was I think and it was there fine. were parts of it that were really good. Yeah, um, I think that my main problem with the movie <laughs> problem, my main problem with the movie was that it was a little predictable. Like the very very start of the movie is literally just like Sandra Bullock yelling at her two kids and like yelling the rules of the world at the two kids. Like Sandra Bullock's like, "Don't take off your blindfolds or I'll fucking hurt you." And like, yeah. "Don't look at the monsters or you'll see like you'll that see was, shit." Well, she doesn't tell him. Make you want to kill yourself. She actually, it, it's quite like uh, it. That sounds like it's over the top, but the way that it's done really freaks me out. She's she's talking to the she. It's. I, no, I, I, think I thought it, it was too much exposition. I think I it, it cold opens with her, just yeah. like a focus up, a closer, extreme close up of her face, and mm. she's just like, "If you take off your blindfold, you'll die. Do you understand me? You'll you'll die. And if you don't obey me, my orders, you'll die. And if I find that you haven't obeyed my orders, I will hurt you. Do you hear me? Mm. And if I die, and if anything happens to me, run. You put your blindfold on under no circumstances. Blah blah blah. And yeah. then." The really strong thing that happens is it pans and it's kids, because you're like, oh yeah, she'll be talking to like a kid or someone yeah. that's that's where well, that's pretty harsh. And then it flicks and it's kids way younger than you think, like three or that, four. It actually like three or four year olds. Yeah, and and they just aren't. They there's no way that they can comprehend. It's like it's not a kid where they show wisdom beyond the years. It's a kid where like you would struggle to get them to act lines yeah. that are complex enough to be that character that you think that I'm describing in before. the real world yeah. like it, they, these are young fucking kids yeah they where like I, I was impressed that they were actually able to get them to do stand it stand there and set. imagine Dora Explorer has been cancelled yeah it's that that like that type of age right yeah. and these kids are great for what it's worth but it really did They're actually barely in it like, it affected well okay sure but the bits that they are are very convincing yeah. and it affected me greatly to see how actually young the kids were yeah, that I she mean, was talking I mean, to. Sure, it was cool. Because I thought I'd called the twist, yeah, I mean, and then it was like, no, it's fucking. Yeah, you think it's fucking. You think they're young? You think they're teenagers or yeah. whatever? Not right. She's yeah, talking but, to basically babies. Yeah, right. No, so like, I wasn't that impressed with it. I thought that because I was constantly comparing this film throughout to the two, a quiet place, <laughs> being a sensory based thriller that presents monsters in a different way. Mm. The quiet, a quiet place is great. Famously, it was in my top 10 in 2018. Mm. I thought it was a really good film, and I thought, obviously, the strength of A Quiet Place was the way in which it built the world for the first half of the movie and introduced yeah. the way in which the world has been shaped by this tragedy. Showed and the, the family's which, behavior. Yeah, and the way in which these monsters influenced the, the, the characters in the film. And I thought that it was so fucking lazy to just have Sandra Bullock shout the rules exposition-y style at these three-year-olds and have the babies be like, uh-huh, can you explain, so, it? Can you explain it as simply as possible? Because I'm three this. years old and I don't get it. And so, like, I just thought that, like, A Quiet Place did it so well. And this was... this. I mean, I realize that movies take a long time to produce, but well, this movie's, like, come out so long after A Quiet Place came out that surely you'd watch A Quiet Place and be like, fuck, all right, fine. Didn't A Quiet Maybe, Place come out last year? Yeah, but this these films are being Place made came out at the very beginning of last year. These are being made out, at the same time. This came out in November. For sure, these are being made at the same time. My point is... A creative writer, regardless or not of whether he'd watched a quiet, a quiet Place and decided to rip it off, would decide there's this cool world, there's this interesting way in which humanity's had to change the way they live forever. Mm. I'm going to start the movie off by showing people and showing how they have to live outside without sight, for right. example. And it's four years after. They've been living in this world for four years? Yeah, and that's very impressive, yeah. Yeah. Whereas and I think like, this is quite... Yeah, uh, and like... All yeah. they have is like, oh, they've got curtains down all the time. And like, 
They've got newspapers on the windows. Yeah, no, exactly. okay, so well, you've had the same fucking newspapers from 2015 on the windows for four years. Good movie. I just thought no, the no, Quiet no, Place dude, was it, so it, good uh, that uh, I, the way in which they built up the world, you're totally, you're totally right. Quiet Place was so good that I was just like, oh, this feels like a missed opportunity. This just feels like someone was like, oh, can you make that movie? But like, let's do it with taste. No, fuck, smell. No, sight. Let's do sight. <laughs> One of the strengths of A Quiet Place is that they couldn't have verbal exposition because yeah. they can't talk. Right, okay. <laughs> so, like, in in some ways, I feel a bit of sympathy because they were like, ah, oh, fuck, they got the good sense for a writer to be writing a clever story. <laughs> <laughs> and now we've got to pick the other four. Fuck. But you could have had, like... But you could have there had, are ways that so they like, could have gotten around there. There were a lot of really cool world-building bits that happened in the film a lot later in the movie. Like, for example, she has, like, a... A roll of string she, on she her. Has like, that... It's like a retractable washing line. Yeah. She has, like... No, no. A roll of string. <laughs> it's like a roll of retractable washing line that she like ties <laughs> to the halfway. place where she meets her. Yeah, you welcome, boy. I've do. It's been thirty episodes. I'm a trooper. Um, she like sort of hooks, hooks the the roll of string to like the camp where she's left her kids. She and Hansels walks, and Gretels it with yeah, string and like walks into the woods to follow this noise. And you're like, oh, it's really clever. She would have found that at some point. Like they have bells to like signal each other and like. Little shit like that, like the way in which, like, I mean, and I, but the only way they did that was like at the very start of the movie, she has to walk down the garden path to this other bit in her, like, on her property. She's yeah. like counting steps, like 36, 37, 38. Like, oh, cool, four years. I and think, then she um, come up with his counting steps. I think, like, the, yeah, and I think that's it. I think, like, in terms of the world, because both of these movies could be like very loosely split, yeah, into. Before and after they reveal the monster, yeah, which they sort of, in a way, never do in Bird Box. Yeah, S- let's just okay. Fuck it, spoilers. <laughs> also, spoilers for both. Bird Box, like, why is it called Bird Box? And within the first five minutes, she puts three birds in a box. <laughs> and you're like, oh, right, fuck me, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Bird Box is a box of birds. <laughs> ah! <laughs> 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 Yeah. The bird box is a <laughs> box with birds in it. You don't have to watch the movie. So, like, I think there's actually less of a differential than people might think around how these films go about that first half before it's revealed kind of what they're running from. We need some sort of canary in the coal mine type indicator of, like, when these monsters are coming. Say no more. Don't you want to? No, no, literally. I'm just <laughs> going to put a canary in a coal mine and that'll be, that, that's job done. So like, but I think one thing that um, that Bird Box does more strongly, and like straight straight spoilers for Bird Box now. Yeah. Well, so it's a decent action movie. It's pretty like good. If, if we, you enjoyed, if we say like stop listening now. We have to give you a little opportunity. All right. Decent movie. I had fun with it. I I think it was just fine. If yeah. You're not, if, this, if you're looking for something to watch on Netflix, Ballad of Buster Scruggs, <laughs> <laughs> and you've already seen the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Then you can watch Bird Box and it'll be fine. Yeah, if it you was haven't good. seen A Quiet Place, watch A Quiet Place. If you like A Quiet Place, have a few and then watch Bird Box. Right. Right? Yeah. Cool. I think it's... Uh, yeah. S- spoiler away, boy. Spoilers. Um, I think that the, the thing that Bird Box actually did more strongly than Quiet Place is they never bothered to reveal the monster. And apparently... I don't know if you looked into well, this or not. Qui- did you Did you look this up? Yeah, I did. Yeah, the, I, I heard about it. The fact that it was yeah. so... Okay, so... so they- they, I'll, I'll get to this a little yeah. later, but like Bird Box, in the end, <laughs> never reveals what the monsters look like. The way that you actually get uh, any kind of visual representation of the monsters is through sketches that one character has done. Yeah. Um, and it's that British guy. Yeah. Not going to talk about him. You got to look him up. But he's a guy. So but he's allowed, a dude, and he's, he's the only <laughs> he's the only British guy in the movie. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, Sandra he, Bullock. On the other hand, is so the there's, main in this movie. there are some. Don't give me that shit. So there are some uh, people in this movie that are sort of like zealots. Yeah, this is this is a bit of a spoiler. The idea is that like at the start of the film, it sh- it sets up the fact that like if anyone looks at whatever the fuck this monster is, it'll make you want to kill yourself. Yeah, and there's more than it. Ha- it's you, happening worldwide, and you so can't like, avoid it. You will kill yourself. Yeah, but like you, your eyes change and you become like possessed, basically. Yeah. Um. And but there, there's there's a certain select view of fewer people where when they see whatever the fuck this is instead of wanting to kill themselves they become like so enamored with with whatever it is that they have seen that they want to spread the joy of it and they love it and they want to get as many people as possible to see and they sort of know it's going to destroy them but they think it's so beautiful that it doesn't matter and it's perfect and it's and it's the way that it's actually done is is quite good that he's like we will cleanse the world type crazy zealots that like because they're like then because then later on in the movie they're like the only ones that can drive for example so you hear like these cars pull up and everyone's like oh fuck I heard someone say like well that was just an excuse to be able to put post-apocalyptic gangs in the movie and I was like I thought it was fine ah fuck Maybe, yeah. <laughs> but I, but it actually worked when yeah. I saw it, particularly because it was carried by that main dude yeah. who they let into the house and he acts like he's fine for a while and then like while <laughs> while uh, while something is happening, yeah. um, he spreads out a lot of these sketches that he's kind of done over the and that's the only real <laughs> representation that you get and they're horrifying. That the aesthetic of them is is really 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 clever. It's sort of sort of Cthulhu shit, but. Yeah. Not quite that. I mean, it's, to be it's honest, all humanistic, like, human- and in the same way that I think the weakest part of Quiet Place is that the monsters were humanoid. Yeah. This, this, when it finally does represent them, it's done in a much more tactful way. But it's still like, oh, it's just a, like a silhouette of a person wearing a gas mask, nah. you know, with like a tube coming out of their mouth, or like it's a person with tentacles. It's, I, it's like I didn't like that at all. I, th- I mean, the, the, the story, I didn't mind stories, it. stories are cool, but like it literally <laughs> looked like some sort of fucking Doctor Who. Ish. It lo- one of the characters the Ood. literally looked like the Ood from Doctor Who. Yeah. And then like, well, no, one of the characters, the one characters, of the sketches. Yeah, that's what I meant. Sorry. Yeah. I, and then um, this British dude who um turn- seems like he's a f- totally normal guy that they take pity on, like led into that little sanctuary house thing. And then like while they're all busy upstairs, he just like suddenly like flips. Pulls this goofy expression, basically sticks his tongue out, his eyes go all bugged out, and he starts <laughs> doing this crazy drawing, like, and does this crazy sketch drawing. I laughed when that happened. Oh, like, I didn't. That was actually one of the. I mean, like, yeah, the whole like, oh, I'm sketching, but it was maybe not great writing, but the acting was very good. And I, I think the writing was good, but the way he acted, it was fucking crazy. I thought, <laughs> speaking of crazy acting, <laughs> John fucking John. Malkovich. <laughs> I think it was fine. <laughs> he was. I I couldn't tell. This I was that that, this was the John most Malcolm perplexing performance I've seen of 2019, and I just I watched mean, a fucking Yorgos Lanthimos <laughs> film. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> um, John they, Malkovich plays <laughs> someone. I don't know what country they're from. <laughs> the scratchy old guy who's like, no, we cannot let anyone else in the house. He's like, right. It was lovely having you. Now it's time to go. Yeah. Fuck you. It's yeah. like the most crazy. John Malkovich sounds like if John Malkovich fucked Donald Schwarzenegger. <laughs> um, no, but like, I, I thought John it Malkovich. It sounds like someone's doing a bad. Im- it sounds like John Malkovich <laughs> impersonating someone that's doing an impersonation of John Malkovich fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think it is a photocopy <laughs> of a photocopy of John Malkovich. <laughs> I, I think John performed by John Malkovich. I think John so Malkovich weird. was good in this film, but he the, the was. Ri- I thought the writing was. 
god awful. It was baffling. There were so many like it I mean, was so confusing there were so to many, watch. Like, we watched listened to a podcast recently where they were saying scene to scene. <laughs> It's almost cringy how bad the writing is, but overall, the general arc of the film is good. It's actually so fine, like, yeah. So, like, literally, like, you see the opening scene of the film is, like, uh, Sandra Bullock and her two kids, like, living in this four years after the apocalypse Yeah, world. so it starts in the present, yeah. quote-unquote. And then it zaps back to, like, the day that the apocalypse started, and Sandra Bullock is pregnant, and her sister's <laughs> like, you can't raise a child here, can you? And they're, they're also, um, like, <laughs> they're watching shit on the news, and it does that thing yeah. where it's like... <sighs> Ah, shit's going down in Russia, and they're yeah. just like, ah, it's just Russia, exactly. <laughs> and then, and then she's like, in the hospital, and someone like fucking kills himself, and she's like, oh god, we should have listened to Russia. Oh god, we should get out of this hospital. And like, there's another line where like Sandra Bullock like looks straight down the barrel of a camera, winks, and goes, "I find it comforting to focus on the wrong things." Wink, like that's yeah. gonna fuck me up later. Hey, yeah. And you're like, oh, f- right, fine. Literally, Doink. <laughs> there's so many little things in this movie. In that flash, in the flashback area of the movie, where like you're not quite sure what the main part of the movie's supposed to be, because yeah. like when the film f- probably starts and it's four years into the future, you're like, right, cool, we're gonna find out like how they've dealt, become delivered as well. And they're like, we're gonna have to travel down this river and make it to the sanctuary, and the whole fucking future world scene is. Over the course of a 24-hour boat float down the river where nothing happens. So the coolest bit of the movie, I believe, could have been us seeing how they live in this world. But well, then like Quiet the, Place. Yeah. yeah. Like, like Quiet... I suppose I just hoped to be more like The Quiet yeah. Place. But then, like, most of the movie is just watching them floundering and John Malkovich being an insane <laughs> asshole. Like, the day it's happening, when, like, no matter no matter what anyone suggested <laughs> here is John Malkovich is like, head, no, we should not do that. We should stay in the house and drink whiskey. In. If oh. you let him in, I swear I will kill somebody. Yeah. Probably him. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's fucking crazy. And, like... What the, the first? If you char- think we're joking, go watch this movie. The first I'm doing a die, very good impression of it. They're all holed up in this like mansion house in LA or whatever. The first character to die, the Asian dude's like, no, no, we can't look out the windows because the monster might be there and we'll kill ourselves. But I, I've got this whole like security camera set up, and everyone's like, well, how does that help? If it's a camera, so if we see it the monster's still going to make us want to kill ourselves anyway. And he's like, no, no, but these are thermal cameras. They're digitized signals. So it's all digital. So I won't really be seeing the monster. I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. But also, what the fuck would you set up a thermal camera in your <laughs> yeah. whole house? What are you... Ugh. So what I was going to say is where... Uh, just to... I, I guess like this is a bit of a summary, but I've got one more thing <laughs> to say about it. Is that like... Where Quiet Place spent uh, just a, it, the, I think the differential of world building between these yeah. two films is actually closer than it feels like it is because um, Bird Box focuses less but has almost as much. Where it's like it quickly skims over the string, it quickly skims over the newspaper, it quickly skims over like oh they've fucked around with thermal cameras and stuff yeah. like they tried to find ways around it. Like there's but a cool then, scene where they have to drive to the shops but they can't look out the windows so they plaster up all the windows of the car and just follow the GPS on the car. The GPS and the sonar, I was like, you'd instantly crash and wedge yourself between like a lamppost and a <laughs> car and a fence and be yeah. like, well, fuck. <laughs> so that yeah. that was the one of the least believable scenes. But yeah. I think this was stronger because it never actually showed you the thing and that made it more of an intimidating presence. Yeah. But Quiet Place was much stronger because uh, the, world the, the world building that it did before it made the mistake of revealing the, the creatures to you was, was much right. stronger. However... <laughs> So, 
Quiet Place came out first, and I'm assuming that these films were being made at the same time because movies take a really long time to be made. This movie came out six months later. I object to that. So, (laughs) at the start of Bird Box, Sandra Bullock's character, no kids. Yeah. During the present scenes in Bird Box, Sandra Bullock's character, two kids. So, at some point, she ends up with two children, right? Right. Now, I agree with you. This is a horseshit scene. Quiet Place. Emily Blunt's character, pregnant. From the start, you're like, pregnant woman, right. Famously, in films, pregnant women, they scream when they're given birth. It's a loud, horrible process. Yeah. And that's going to have to happen at some point, right? Mm-hmm. So, immediately, you're just like, well, Jesus, how the fuck are they going to do a silent pregnancy, right? And it's like the climax <laughs> of the whole film. Yeah. And so, what happens is, during the highest point in the film of tension in Quiet Place... It's Emily Blunt's character trying to give birth alone, silently, silently right? <laughs> so, Quiet Place comes out, cut to the writer's room <laughs> of Bird Box, doing like, their little thing of like, it's, it's, about, it's oh. about what? It's about what? <laughs> and they have this scene where they're watching this fucking scene where Emily Blunt has to masterfully give birth birth and they're like well fuck <laughs> now what <laughs> fucking what how did this happen <laughs> and this one guy who's been quiet for a fair while is just like what if two people were pregnant <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah it's like what if two people give birth and then in the middle of the birth some guy just comes in and goes look at the monster look at the monster you can make as much noise as you want but look at the monster <laughs> And it's like, no, it's two people giving birth and trying not to look this at was, the monster. <laughs> this was Jesus. the weakest part of the film, only because I had seen Quiet Place, where I was like, you can't just do two of what they fucking did. <laughs> I mean, I've just, I mean, this might be the most tragic coincidence ever, because I've just. It oh. was so funny. I've just where it was up- like, nah, what if she was given birth to twins? <laughs> oh, I don't know if twins is really worse than, like. One normal pregnancy. I mean, like, obviously, <laughs> there are some slight complications, but fine. There's two women, each one pregnant with one child, but it happens at the exact same time. You'll- you know how women sync up like that? <laughs> Fucking Dude, ridiculous. You'll love this. I've just looked this up on, on Wikipedia. Bird Box is based on a book that was released in 2014. Yeah. And the options to make this as a movie were, were bought by Universal Pictures in 2013 before the book even came out. Right. So they've been sitting on this movie yeah. for like four years. And John Krasinski and is John like, Krasinski's going, hey, I got this neat idea, guys. What about, what about Bird Box but with ears? <laughs> and he does a much, much better job. The movie's so eerily similar, similar to A Quiet Place and so much worse. You have to be comparing it to A Quiet Place the whole time you're watching yeah. it. I think Bird Box is just fine. Yeah, it's exactly just fine. Yeah. It was much better than I expected it to be. And the, the other thing that I was going to say, so in terms of a better than, worse than, this is worse than A Quiet Place. Go watch A Quiet Place. Yeah. It's a better film. Just yeah. flat out. Maybe it had a bigger budget. It's a better yeah. film. Sandra Bullock's performance, pretty great, actually. Pretty I thought yeah. she was pretty good. The aesthetic of a woman rowing a boat uh, with two children, they're also wearing blindfolds and she's yeah. blindfolded. Uh, the, the aesthetic was what actually made me want to watch this movie. Like, I saw screenshots and people making jokes about it on Twitter. 
And I was like, what the fuck is this bird boxing? And I initially got it confused with Bandersnatch. <laughs> and then I learned more about what it was, but I didn't learn enough about it to know that it was similar to A Quiet Place. So well, I went in three watching hours, it. And I didn't even get to the choice where you get to roll a boat down a river with two kids and a lady. Where do I get to kill these fucking kids? <laughs> this, this was definitely worse than A Quiet Place. But... It was just a tragedy of when it came out. And uh, still has a really strong aesthetic to it. Some good performances, bad writing, good yeah. production. It was overall a six and a half to a seven out of ten movie. Yeah. You know? Pretty good. Yeah. On top of the mediocrity, you have points of just excellence. This is definitely worse than... A Quiet Place. A Quiet Place. And better than... Okay, so it was worse than A Quiet Place, but I watched another Netflix horror film a while ago called The Ritual, which also had a really strong aesthetic, really yeah. good performances, but very weak writing and narrative yeah. arc, and this was better than The Ritual. Okay, so... So, for you horror heads out there, you might have seen it. Better than The Ritual, worse than A Quiet, a Quiet Place. Place yeah. Bird Box, I think, in general, worth a look if you've got nothing else to watch, but honestly, it's just a just-fine thriller-slash-action movie, and... I personally don't think it's worth your time if you've got other fantastic, brilliant, artsy movies out there that you could watch instead. Right. Do you want to hit, hit it to the news then, boy? Sure. Okay. With the most suspicious look. Like... Yeah, all right. I'll hit it to the news. Do you want to kick it to the news? <laughs> with some sort of code phrase. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, weird news from last week. The Netflix Bandersnatch uh, Choose Your Own Adventure TV show is being sued by the Choose Your Own Adventure books. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like claiming, hey, we came up the idea of choice. <laughs> <It's not> <laughs> Yeah, no point. I mean, apparently, choose your own adventure is a trademark, and like, in did Bandersnatch, they actually use the like, phrase "choose your own adventure" or whatever? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, oh, okay. Well, like, that's he's literally oh. the kids sitting at the kitchen table reading a book, and the dad's like, "Book can't be that good. You're constantly just flicking backwards and forwards in it." And he's like, "No, it's <clears throat> a choose your own adventure book." Right. Yeah. Right. So, like. <laughs> I love. There's a fine line for these like, things and a really big gray area, but. I reckon you can't do that. <laughs> you can't <laughs> patent like, the idea of a like, book where you choose if stuff. You're if you're making a choose your adventure TV show, what's the first trademark you check? Right? <laughs> Surely you would check if anyone vaguely litigious had the rights to choose your <sighs> own adventure as a format? I just don't think that that's good enough. <laughs> that I don't think that's a unique enough idea to be able to <laughs> copyright. <laughs> <laughs> what a funny story though. Next next headline, uh, we've got uh, It's funny, but I think it's stupid. <laughs> that's that's this whole segment there. Aaron Sorkin, writer of the social network, thinks that there should be a sequel to the social network. Crazily, the social network came out in twenty ten. Think of how much crazy shit's happened with Facebook yeah, since twenty ten. I, I, I also think there should be a sequel to the social network where Mark Zuckerberg is fucking thrown in prison. <laughs> how about I that one? Can we get that in real life? As a big fan of Aaron Sorkin, I think it'd be awesome. I love The West Wing. I thought the social network was great. I yeah, think sure. Be a very, very cool film. I um, I just want him to like stop seeing the good in people that are making hard decisions and yeah. only focus on that. No. <laughs> 
I want Adam fucking McKay <laughs> to do a movie about Mark fucking Zuckerberg. You'd love that, wouldn't you? A couple, couple quick little headlines that I mean, just breeze through quickly. Sure. John John Lasseter has been appointed the head of animation at the studio Skydance, who are like a film production house that have most famously done the Mission Impossible movies. There's been a bit of debate online as to whether he should be even given him a. Whether it should be even That's given a weird a job one or not. that it's we bit... just co- couldn't possibly comment on. Weird, yeah, no, exactly, exactly. So now I'm, I'm cu- curious to see what he cooks up, but at the same time, like, don't have enough info about that to say whether or not we should yeah, say fuck that guy. Denis, a, a little bit of news about Denis Villeneuve. He uh, directed Blade Runner 2049. He's doing the new Dune. That's not news, man. That's old. Dave Batista is being cast in that new. I'm so fucking excited. I for hope that. it's good. If Dune gets what. 2049 got is that going to make an unbelievable amount of people very very happy <laughs> yeah I hope I hope it's great because I really like the new Blade Runner movie another quick one uh, they still haven't found a host for the Oscars at the moment currently they're aiming to air without the main Oscar host who gives a fuck that's but fucking like, funny ap- apparently last time they aired the Oscars without a host it <laughs> ended up with Rob Lowe singing with Snow White which was apparently terrible so <laughs> look forward to see what happens on the 24th of February when the Oscars either airs with or without a host uh there has been a teaser that got dropped when we were recording this last night that Ghostbusters 3 is coming out. Oh, that's right. Which is exciting because it's being directed by Ivan Reitman, one of my favorite directors who did Juno, Up in the Air, and Thank You for Smoking. Three of my favorite comedies. Um, he hasn't done a lot recently that's been particularly good, but he is apparently the son of the Reitman man who directed the original Ghostbusters film. His dad is now going to be executively producing this while his son, Ivan Reitman, is directing this film. Rumour as of yet as to how much involvement the surviving Ghostbusters cast are going to have. Some people say Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd may or may not be involved. Right. I'd be curious to see it. I thought the the all-female Ghostbusters remake from a few years ago was just fine. I didn't um, see it. It was all right. But I, thought, I think, I mean, yeah. I think it, got, it copped a lot more hate online than it deserved. I think it was pretty good. Um, <laughs> imagine this, this... <laughs> imagine white <laughs> male nerds being angry at something. <laughs> yeah, fuck. I mean, Ivan Reitman's good. I've, I've enjoyed enough of his films that I hope I hope it's good. Um, I look forward to seeing it. He said he was a fan of the last few. Right. Um, Man. And it's coming out. We know no details about it. So literally a teaser just got announced last night that mm. shows you like a sheet being pulled off the Ghostbusters car and like that's it. Zachary Levi is in that movie Shazam that comes out soon about a kid who like turns into this big muscly dude when he says the word Shazam. Oh looks, yeah, I'm it looks <laughs> keen as fuck. It to looks see like that. tons of fun. I love this. This article here I've got is all about the fact that <laughs> they needed to have a suit to make Zachary Levi look ripped. I like the idea because Zachary Levi couldn't get ripped, but now the dude looks like comically ripped. The the suit that Zachary Levi wears in the movie cost ten million dollars. Hell yeah! <laughs> and apparently they they have like ten Fuck. suits. They have it's because they have ten suits as backups and different That's props or whatever. Million dollars. Every no, every single suit costs a million dollars, and they have ten. Well, of them. you just lied to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just structured my sentence in an intriguing way. How the fuck oh, do you, you have journalism to me? Fuck... <laughs> That's right. How the fuck? Ten, ten things. You, ten things you wouldn't believe about the suit in Shazam starring Zach really One. Bad. The first suit <laughs> cost two million dollars. The second suit <laughs> also cost a million dollars. You <laughs> won't believe number eight. <laughs> But yeah, um, ridiculous that that, uh, Lycra and... Number eight is that the director sexually harassed someone. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. And then the ninth suit cost $2 million. (laughs) 
<laughs> Welcome to the second <laughs> lost the episode of Beef Tangent. Is free. <laughs> Hugh Grant's car was broken into. Someone stole Hugh Grant's backpack and <laughs> had a script in it. <laughs> and he said, in the unlike- adorably, Hugh Grant tweeted, in the unlikely chance that anyone knows who broke into my car, could you at least get them to return the script? It had a few notes in it. I've been working on for a couple of weeks. Oh, and my kids' medical cards. <laughs> but honestly, I will settle for the script. <laughs> All Hugh wants back is his margin notes and his kids' Medicare cards. So. And the last one isn't necessarily funny, but I thought it was interesting enough to end on. Excellent. So we- we're getting this... The Lion King all CGI remake that's coming oh, out Christ. this year, I think. And we've seen from trailers and from publicity coming out from the film that it's like a shot-for-shot remake of the hand-drawn one from the 90s, which is fine. Whatever. Just a reminder that we're spending like a tenth of the time before we're all melting in boiling <laughs> seawater watching a movie that we've all already seen. Yep, yep, with characters that are animated to look less relatable than the current ones. Whatever. This, mo- this this article here is talking about the fact that because of weird technicalities to do with writers' guilds and animators' guilds, all of the writers... hate this. Yeah, you will. All of the writers from the original uh, Lion King film aren't going to receive residuals from the new one that's coming out this year. So who's getting paid for it? The new writers of the film that adapted it to be CGI. The new writers yeah, no, no. of the film yeah. that has yeah. zero... Enter. 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 I don't know who says you're on here. The writers of the new film or some fucking some sort of layabout that's been sitting on the laurels of his success for the last be 20 years. No writing credits in this fucking movie. All right. So apparently the way this happened, and this is kind of interesting, but also kind of very, very, very specific about Writers Guild fucking union politics in the US. Here's how it went down. Like... Well, I'll tell you one thing. The union isn't the bad guy. You'll love this. In like 1938 or 1939, when, when all of these oh. writers' guilds... Famously, a uh, quiet yeah, period yeah, right. of history. When all of these like predecessors... Yeah, all the political decisions made in the 1930s and 40s have been famously carried oh, yeah, on today. Oh, yeah, they've really stood the test of time. <laughs> At around that time when like Hollywood, the golden age of Hollywood was really sort of kicking up, and the predecessors... Boy, I hope nothing happens to this. The predecessors of the writers' guild and the animators' guilds were kind of like working out what the fuck they're going to be doing. Yeah. They worked out and they were sort of talking about the idea that like, no, okay, they were talking about and sort of formally defining the process of like how a written script gets to become a movie and they were talking right. about the uh, informally sort of in meetings talking about the idea that like, no, if you have a screenplay, someone purchases that screenplay or the idea for a story, it gets turned into a treatment, it then gets directed and shot and that's the movie. Right. And so there are very specific people that are involved with writing the story and the script of that film. Two or three people, maybe. Yep. And these days, it's still the, the still the case that if the film is like a film that's under the Writers Guilds of America rules, which apparently most films are, two writers get credit for like the story credit, and maybe you get a th- three or four more writers that can be credited as being writers on the film. And that's why if you see like a film that has four writers, it's like, oh, fuck. It's, it could either be four writers or 20 writers. The maximum cap of writers that can be credited for a film right. is four. Right? Um. At around roughly the same time. So really, that of, means it's a good thing if you see a film with less than four writers, because you because know four that only that many be, people worked on it. Literally, yeah. Right. And so, like, but around at around or, the same time, animated productions, and really <laughs> up until about sort of the the late eighties or early nineties, animated stuff wasn't huge. It wasn't as big as movies were. And so they were talking about the idea that, like, right, when you make it back in the thirties and forties and fifties, when you make an animated thing. 
everyone kind of contributes to the story or the script or the screenplay in some way even the animators and like other sort of lower level people that are involved in the script make suggestions that make it into becoming part of the movie and so they said like for example in the lion king when it came out in the 90s like 17 or 18 people had story or writing kinds of credits right. on the lion king because it wasn't a writer's guild of america movie it was done under like the rules of the animators, animators guild. guild or whatever and those rules kind of stuck for a while. And when animated stuff, I think this is interesting, when animated shit sort of really started to make money in the 90s with like The Simpsons and like Pixar and all that. And they thought, some oh, stuff fuck, we started, need to actually sort this out. Some stuff, so apparently all the Simpsons people started to try and get themselves switched to the Writers Guild because the rules for the Writers Guild were a lot better for the writers than it was for the yeah. Animators Guild. The original Lion King movie was done under all animators the rules Guild. and protections of the Animators Guild. Fuck. Which is why like, there's, for example, a dude that has a writing or a story credit on the original Lion King that really only contributed to, like, one scene. And he was psyched to get a credit for writing on The Lion King. But if it was a Writers Guild movie, he wouldn't have even got a credit at all. Right. It really does still mean, you know, that all the people that worked on The Lion King movie are likely not going to see much of the profits of this new Lion King movie. Oh, sucks. So they'll see nothing. Yeah. I think it's really interesting and it's really interesting insight into it very specific little things. Like you hear, for example, about how like there's a lot of films that on paper don't make any money because yeah. like people cook the books in Hollywood and so like, oh no, like we spent $400 million on catering. <laughs> <That's> what, <laughs> even though this film made a billion dollars on paper, it didn't make any money so yeah. we don't have to pay these people, for example. It's your fault um, because the film was that bad that we needed yeah. to spend $800 million advertising <laughs> it to trick people into seeing the bad movie that you made. <laughs> Exactly, but there you go. There's the end of our little beef bullet in there. Uh, original writers well, are that's horrifying. I'm going to see shit. Once again, capitalism is bad. <laughs> and if only there was a move that expressed that sentiment in a tight 90 minutes. Art is dying. Art is dead. All right. Uh, I think it's probably all the time we have left for on this week's yeah, episode I think of Beef Station. We well and truly overstayed <laughs> our welcome. Absolutely fucked this. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and it'll be interesting to see how different... <laughs> The director's cut is from the, <laughs> from the cinematic release. <laughs> That'll be our Patreon that no one ever wants to subscribe to. It's like, if you subscribe, you get to hear the 10 minutes we cut. <laughs> 10 minutes? Wait, also we talked about Writers Guild politics for a good nine oh, minutes. Oh, no, that was some of the best content. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for another week. As always, please share this with your friends. Maybe share the first 20 minutes of this podcast with your friends. We'd love to get more people listening to this. Like us on Facebook.com slash Pod. Email the show if you have anything interesting to say, beefstationpod at gmail.com. You can find us online in all the normal places. Thanks for listening. I'm Oscar. Andrew. See you later. Old Ann and I with throats burned dry and souls that cry for war. Cool, clear water. Green tree where the water's running free and it's waiting there for you.